0: The German Chancellor, the new German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, arrives in this country on Sunday. It's the first visit for him since taking over from Angela Merkel. In fact, I think it's one of the first visits ever for a German Chancellor that doesn't involve a stop. He's just coming here. As far as I know, he's just going back. Lots to talk about, of course. There was another example today of how Russia continues to weaponize European dependence on its energy exports. Russia's state-owned energy company is going to shut down a key pipeline that carries natural gas to Europe, For three days at the end of the month, Gazprom says the shutdown is so it can do some routine maintenance. It says once the work is complete, the flow of gas through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline will resume to its prior level of just 20% of capacity. and That's, of course, heading into the fall. So when the German chancellor arrives in Canada for that 3-day tour, energy will no doubt be near top of the agenda, uh, near the top of the agenda rather. Prime Minister Trudeau is hinting the energy development agreement he's going to sign with Germany's chancellor next week is part of a broader effort to make Canada one of the world's biggest net zero energy suppliers. He was asked during a news conference in Quebec how the deal will help Germany replace Russian energy energy imports following the invasion of Ukraine.
1: The conversations we're going to have with uh, the Chancellor will, yes, be very much about the short-term pressures they're living and how we can help where we can on that, but much more about where we need to be on the path to net zero and the fact that Canada can and will position itself as a significant energy supplier in a net zero
0: world. The Prime Minister today talking about uh, the visit coming up from German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. But how much can Canada really help Europe now when it's needed? Or is it already, already too late to step up, particularly when it comes to such things as natural gas? Joining me now is Christian Luprecht. He's pro- Professor of Political Studies at Royal Military College and Queen's University in Kingston. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Good evening. My pleasure. So uh, this is a quite a significant visit. It's a big entourage that the German Chancellor is bringing uh, with him, and he's coming straight to Canada. This is a Canada-specific visit, which we don't see very often. What gives?
1: Well, I think what we see here is an increasing realization of the importance that Canada plays, both for European interests and European Union interests. We have the European Union agreement that was signed in 2019 between uh, Canada and the EU and bilaterally between Germany and Canada and I think especially since the advent of the Trump administration uh, there's a number of countries in Europe that have discovered that there is another country on this continent that this country is a country that has a long-standing bestest strategic interests in Europe and political stability in Europe, territorial integrity of Europe, economic prosperity of Europe, social harmony of Europe uh, spent considerable blood and treasure during the first half of the 20th century uh, to that effect, and uh, that that country um, has a considerable ability to uh, support Europe uh, in its current uh, struggles, given some, especially in Germany, the miscalculations for which uh, both the Merkel and the Schröder government now have to answer, especially when it comes to energy security.
0: Yes, you're referring, of course, to the to the plan to, well, I guess, one, to rely on Russia and B to shut down all their nuclear power following Fukushima. And it is the 80th anniversary of Dieppe today as a reminder of the, the blood and treasure that Canadians sacrificed um, on that front. Um, when it comes to energy, I mean, clearly it's going to be at the top of the agenda or at least near the top. What can we expect, though? Because I, at one point I was reading that there was going to be a net talk about LNG, but that's actually not going to happen. So where are we at?
1: Well, I think this is the the art of the possible. What Germany needs and what Canada is uh, politically willing to give uh, and is economically able to generate on what are relatively tight timelines. Uh, And Germany has already significantly reduced its reliance on Russian gas from 55% to uh, 35% of its gas imports. But the problem with liquefied natural gas in the world is that it's not as plentiful uh, as oil and it's not distributed as evenly as oil. So there's only a few countries in the world uh, that have considerable gas resources. And within uh, among NATO member countries, Um, Canada ranks with Norway and the United States as the uh, potential suppliers. The problem is that the United States and Norway are completely tapped out. So Canada is really the only country that could backfill on liquid natural gas. The challenge is that that would require a conversation about pipelines, in particular pipelines running to the East Coast. Uh, And that's a conversation that I think the Prime Minister is both for political as well as ideological reasons, not quite prepared to have. But there are medium-term some other options. Uh, Those might include uh, a pipeline to Thunder Bay and perhaps shipping, uh, some uh, is, is some uh, some of the energy down the St. Lawrence. Uh, it might also involve some of the offshore uh, capacity that's being built off the Newfoundland. Of course, Newfoundland would benefit itself considerably from the energy resources. But it's important to understand that Russia was earning about a billion dollars a day from um, uh, f- from the energy that uh, it was exporting to Europe. And so, um, imagine if Canada could backfill. Uh, some of that energy, and let's just use around number of a billion dollars a day uh that's about you know three hundred and you know sixty five four hundred billion dollars three hundred billion dollars a year. The entire um uh, provincial and federal budgets combined amount to about four hundred billion dollars so it is combined what um the provincial and federal levels of government spend in Canada a year. Imagine what we could build with that, and you can hear in when the way the Prime Minister is articulating it, the grand bargain that he's envisaging. If we can earn additional revenue by selling energy, we then invest that energy in a net zero future and in the energy transition and we make Canada a green energy powerhouse. And I think this is... The bargain with which I think he was hoping to get elected in 2015, the bargain he was trying to strike between pipelines and uh, the carbon tax, that grand bargain fell apart on him. So I think this is sort of in some ways also a second lease on life for the Liberal government, only now having to sell that bargain in terms of Canada's global obligations rather than just domestic politics.
0: Yeah, he's certainly been talking more about energy Canada being part of an energy, energy security solution than we have in the past. I understand there's probably going to be an announcement about hydrogen. Um, how should we react to it? Because I'm sure it'll be full of, um, you know, full of trumpeting and so on. Uh, but what exactly is going on there? Do you, do you understand?
1: Yeah, so uh, again, this is sort of an opportunity where Canada can step up. Uh, And one that is less controversial than oil and gas. So I think it's an easier sell politically. Um, It is not as immediately useful to Germany as uh, in particular liquefied natural gas would be. Um, I think the Prime Minister is still having some trouble articulating the fact that by virtue of not Canada not stepping up on oil and especially in liquefied natural gas when it comes to European and especially German energy security, it's not like that demand is simply going to away. It's simply that Germany is going to have to try to procure that natural gas from much more unsavory characters around the world uh, that uh, engage in considerable human rights abuses on the one hand and don't have a green or net zero energy strategy at all. So I think here's an opportunity perhaps for Canadians to take some baby steps when it comes to hydrogen uh, to warm up to the idea that um, it is in our interest ultimately in terms of preserving the the European security, economic and political order Uh, through the energy security that Canada can provide, that no other um, uh, member country of the NATO alliance has an ability and and spare capacity to provide uh, the way Canada can. And so I'm hoping that the hydrogen is simply a prelude to a much broader conversation about not just what Canada can do, but what is ultimately in Canada's interest to do and what Canada should be doing in terms of asserting European interests, because ultimately, Canadian interests align closely with European interests. And this is something that I think, for political reasons, uh, the prime minister has not been willing to articulate as clearly and unequivocally to Canadians as Canada will ultimately need to do, because ultimately, um, if there is trouble in Europe, it means there's trouble in the world. And when there's trouble in the world, that's bad news for Canada.
0: Indeed. Um... I imagine after, well, specifically after the whole issue with the turbine, and Siemens, of course, is a uh, German company. They're here. Uh, those turbines went back. We are supposed to repair more. I imagine allies such as Ukraine uh, will be watching closely to see what happens during this visit. What do you think they'll be looking for?
1: Yeah, that's, of course, another sort of added dimension here in terms of the political challenges that the prime minister faces because the Ukrainian diaspora in Canada at a million and a half Uh, People, roughly, is an important electoral constituency and also a very powerful political constituency, as we saw um, uh, during the the turbines issue. Um, And uh, the Canadian government here clearly didn't play ahead. Uh, the turbines issue came to a head because Canada wrote poor sanctions legislation. Um, the turbines were always exempt from European Union sanctions uh, towards Russia. Had Canada coordinated more closely with its allies and written its own policy a bit more strategically, uh, it could have anticipated precisely these sorts of challenges. Uh, and so I think one of the lessons here is uh, that Canada needs to learn to coordinate. Canada always, in many ways, does a great, uh, we see a lot of hot air and we saw, uh, see a lot of talk about Canada doing its fair share in the world and so forth. But this was a classic example of, uh, on the one hand, Canada um, uh, having the talk about what it's going to do on sanctions, but then uh, failing to actually talk to its allies and coordinate closely with its allies, uh, and also ultimately to explain both to the Ukrainian ambassador um, and to Canadians that ultimately it cannot possibly be in Ukrainian interests. To have political and economic instability in the most important, largest political and economic anchor country in continental Europe, uh, that is Germany. And that's ultimately what would have happened if um, Canada had not exported and returned the turbine, because it would have given the Russians a pretext perhaps to shut off uh, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline flow uh, entirely right away. And yes, people argue, sure, the Russians continue to play with. uh with uh, with the gas flow through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline Um, But it is important, I think, to make sure that the Russians don't have any pretext in order to try to spin their own particular narrative. And it is clear that Russian propaganda was already uh, entirely trying to exploit and milk um, the turbine issue in Canada for maximum also domestic benefit. So clearly, this is, uh, I think, an area where uh, um, Canada has finally had some foresight uh, by signing an exemption in terms of the export control permit uh, for the next two years. Uh, So to make sure that the Russians cannot make hay out of it.
0: So next week marks the six-month anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. There'll be a lot of attention on that. And uh, the NATO Secretary General happens to be here on the 24th. It's also Ukrainian Independence Day. Uh, I'm speaking with Christian Luprecht. He's a professor in political studies at Royal Military College and Queen's University. Um, this can't be a coincidence. Uh, what's what do you think? Uh, Jens Stoltenberg is uh, is coming here to look for, is it, or is it just a social call on a particularly significant week?
1: No. So look, I mean, there's uh, Canada is one of those countries that has
0: significantly more capacity in terms of what it could be doing
1: uh, with regards to Ukraine. Now, to Canada's credit, while Canada has been chastised for the ability to do a lot more, in terms of what's actually been announced and what Canada has delivered, Canada is among the countries that has been the best at actually making good on its promises, whereas, of course, Germany has received much criticism for announcements that it has made, but where it has then dragged its feet, especially on equipment. Uh, for uh, for many months subsequently. So this is, I think, an opportunity for the Secretary-General to have a conversation with a country that is a founding uh, member of NATO. But beyond that, it is, of course, also the country that inserted Article 2 uh, into the Atlantic Charter. So that, in, so that is to say, the article that's often considered sort of the values article about what what NATO ultimately stands for. And that's relevant in the context of military training that Canada has announced starting up OP unifier again with the United Kingdom in terms of training Ukrainian soldiers, making sure that Canada uh, holds the line in terms of sustaining its support uh, for Ukraine along with other NATO member countries. Uh, But Canada didn't make a whole lot of announcements at the Madrid summit. Uh, There's a new strategic concept. Uh, Canada was pretty quiet in terms of its broader contributions Uh, And I think uh, the secretary general will be looking on the one hand, what more can uh, can do in the short term uh, to sustain the effort? Because we're moving into a very different part phase of the conflict now that we basically have sort of an operational stalemate between the two countries. And we're trying to uh, bolster Ukrainian capacity uh, to mount potentially small, modest, but important counteroffensives but also I think in the medium term what Canada is prepared to do for its armed forces that have really suffered from 20 years of benign neglect uh, by repeated governments and that urgently need a significant reinvestment in all sorts of capabilities because really uh, what the invasion showed that when the Russians did invade, while Canada had a lot of foresight in preparing Ukraine and supporting uh, NATO member countries, when Russia did invade, there was really very little capacity that Canada uh, additional capacity that Canada could contribute. So if there was an escalation Of the crisis in Europe, there's really nothing that Canada uh, much could provide. And I think that's perhaps, um, that can't be in Canada's interests and it's not in NATO's interests. So I think an opportunity here to understand uh, where might there be some opportunity for both sides to work together more constructively.
0: Right, some preparedness uh, as well. I mean, and this is an interesting fact as we now head into the second the second half or the second six months of this of this war, and it doesn't look like it's ending, I would imagine there has been a reassessment within NATO about how each member can contribute and what they can contribute. And perhaps Canada now, you know, when it was just about supplying sort of material to, to, the, to the military, really, as well as training and so on. But it, it's possible that Canada has other roles it can play now, because clearly there are things that we just don't have and can't contribute to this war effort.
1: Yeah, initially it was just a mad scramble for what could everybody sort of pitch in um, and not kind of kind of an opportunity to figure out what the Ukrainians need because now we have a systematic capacity for uh, a needs analysis cell within NATO in terms of what the Ukrainians need and to coordinate with different countries what they can ultimately provide. And, of course, let's remember Putin's strategy now is to run out the clock, uh, that Western uh, countries will simply lose patience um, and that Western electorates will simply give up their support, realizing uh, how much the Ukraine invasion and the sanctions are costing them in terms of filling up their uh, uh, petrol um, for, their, for their gas tank. Uh, and so I think this is now a concerted effort by the Secretary General to make sure that everybody holds the line and demonstrates to Putin that uh, trying to drag this out into a long, uh, uh, into a long marathon Uh, is not going to help Putin achieve his objectives. And to the contrary, that NATO members are prepared uh, slowly but gradually to scale up Ukrainian capacity, uh, not just for Ukraine to hold the line, but to ultimately be able to fight back. And so this is, of course, part of the negotiation tactic. If we want to end this conflict, uh, uh, Putin needs to understand that he cannot achieve his political aims on the battlefield and that he's ultimately going to need to sit down at the negotiating table. The real trouble with that is, of course, that Ukraine has made it clear they're not interested in negotiating anything at all at this point because they can't possibly trust any commitment that the Russians might make at the negotiating table. Uh, So this is both an effort to try to hold the line and show clear deterrence to, uh, to the Putin regime, while um, at the same time also trying to find some constructive conditions uh, that might ultimately um, uh, give, uh, set, set the conditions under which a ceasefire could possibly uh, take hold and uh, more sustainable negotiation could take place about the future of the relationship between Ukraine and Russia. But I think yeah. we're a long ways away from that.
0: It certainly feels a long way away right now. Christian Luprecht, as always, thank you so much. Have a nice weekend.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Ben. Take care.